Hey everybody, welcome back to the Pixelist Podcast, the podcast about all the nerdy things we love and enjoy. I'm Will, that's Blake, and we're back at you with another Pixelist After Dark. Um, you scared me with the intro, actually. <laughs> <laughs> I like zoned out for you. I, I was looking at my email and I, you know what drives me crazy? I think, you know what, this is not controversial. Email list I never signed up for. Mm, so like I was a, looking at my yeah like when someone sends you spam basically but mm-hmm. i was looking at my email and someone sent me an email every hour for the last three hours so i have three emails from this person the, like and i was a, just kind of like it was like don't miss this opportunity for this class that i have coming up and oh gosh and like, hey blake i'm going live here in an hour and then it was uh <laughs> the email's called where are you oh no <laughs> like what is wrong with this person oh no anyway so i was having like this like inner monologue of like who is this what's wrong with this person why are they doing this and then all of a sudden you jumped in with the had a moment of add and then i was like oh gosh right the (laughs) i'll have to say hello hi everyone hey everyone (laughs) well real quick just because i'm curious is this like a is it automated emails or do you think this person literally like sent you three emails uh this would be just from my business background this is an automated email sequence okay um their flaw is they have it going out every hour yeah um which is just obnoxious. And then also, I mean, you guys, I think we can resonate with this. It's just really annoying to get emails that you never signed up for, you yeah. know, when it's like, who is this? What is this for? Like, leave me alone. So, 100%. And it's anyway. also annoying when you unsubscribe, but then you still get it. I think that is illegal. Yeah, I mean, I'm too. sure it is. But then again, you know, robocalls are illegal. And yet, you know, yeah, I, I think I, I don't think I ever answered the phone anymore. I do. I I don't. If I don't know the number, I'll just leave yeah. a voicemail. If it's somebody that actually needs to get with me, yeah. So this is why you didn't pick up the phone when I called you. <laughs> so, anywho, anyway, uh, little pixelist after dark. I'm yeah. here for it. We're back I'm about it. Um, yeah, we're talking about Critical Role tonight, um, episode fifty-seven. Uh, mm-hmm. Yes, yes, I, indubitably. I wrote the title down. I mean, we're not to that part of the episode yet, so I guess I'll I'll save it. But yeah, we're going to talk some CR. We had uh, our most recent Pixels episode was also filmed a little late. Uh so we're we're back at it with the night vibes. Um, you know. Yeah. I don't know when I don't you probably aren't listening to this at night, dear listener. Maybe you are. I mean, I guess I don't know. Um, but if you are, good evening. Um announcements um not really anything new since we last uh spoke if you uh, listened to our most recent episode but if you didn't um the only thing i can think of is we have the dimension 20 uh crown of candy prequel the ravening war uh actually started tonight i think it's on right mm-hmm. now um which is the campaign matt is dming over on dimension 20 so um like I just mentioned, it's like airing right now, so we obviously haven't seen it, but I am looking forward to checking that out um, mm-hmm. this weekend, most likely. Um, and yeah. on that note, um, if you're, you know, if you're a Pixelist fan and you're in the Discord, or if you're not, one, join the Discord. It'll be linked down in the description below. But I am going to make a uh, channel in the Discord for 
that Dimension 20 campaign. So come you hang out. You already made the channel. <laughs> I, see the, I see it right above this. <laughs> so, you know, if you want to chat, theorize about that. And yeah. uh, I'm, I'm new to Dimension 20 campaigns. This will be the first one I dive into proper. Um, so I don't know if this makes sense or not, but maybe we'll even have like live chat watch alongs for the episodes mm-hmm. um, or something. But yeah, um, what time do episodes go live, by the way? Do you know? Somebody said seven, but I don't know if that's seven our time or seven like California time. I would venture to guess it's PST, yeah, California time. But the, somebody like like not a member of the team said seven. Like I think somebody in the Discord said seven, so they might have they might have been pre-converting it, but I don't know. Yeah. Okay. Um. um yeah. Another announcement. Um. Candelabra. The oh, yeah, 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 yeah. It is. If you haven't heard of this, guys, is it there was a couple of big announcements coming from Critical Role and synonymously Darrington Press, basically, their, their publishing arm. Yeah, um, Critical Role announced their new, um, Dungeons and Dragons inspired system for for basically playing D D. Yeah. And uh we talked about this way back when we were talking about the um open uh gosh the can anyone OGL called? the uh, open OGL, game license yeah open game license back when we did content on that if you've been following D long term you know this was a big stink earlier in the year and one of the things we talked about was Wizards of the Coast being so restrictive and how our guess was that a number we would see more companies come out with their own systems uh, separate from 5e. Um, Will has had an awesome workshop theory about this um, Apogee Solstice with Ruidus uh, being a really great reason to um, possibly even test out that system, change some things over, who knows. Um, But they did announce that system, and they announced a sort of mini-campaign called Candelabra, uh i think it's have... a candle obscura oh yeah why did I, why do i keep saying candelabra <laughs> i don't know <laughs> really wasn't, that like candelabra. A, wasn't that like a movie or a tv show recently or something it's best we don't dive into that yeah okay <laughs> <laughs> so um anyway um uh anjali uh bumat is that how you say your last name uh Anjali Bimani, I believe. Bimani, that's right. Yes. Uh, apologies there. Um, she was in EXU um, as Fira Rai. She's been in other content. She's amazing. Our very own Robbie Damon is involved in the project. Um, that is going to air the first episode at the end of this month in place of the uh, off week for Critical Role. Uh, so you can tune in to um, that uh on the last week of Thursday, the last Thursday of the month. So, yeah. Uh, did they give a name for the system, by the way? They did. I can't remember it off the top of my head, but they actually announced two systems back in that announcement. Um, right. And one is called Dagger Heart, but right. I, that's not this one. I can't remember what this one was called off the top. But yeah, this looks really interesting. I love the vibe of it, kind of like this dark noir, kind of like yeah. Lovecraftian and- almost. And Talison did the uh, announcement video. It was very, very, um, just a very cool vibe. Yeah. Um, um, like, um, what's it called? I keep thinking the scary door, which is what it was called in Futurama as a spoof. Oh my gosh, know. it's driving me crazy. Twilight Zone. Very Twilight oh, Zone. Oh, yes. Um, yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, and um, yeah, Candela 
Obscura is the name. Way cooler than Candelabra. <laughs> um, <laughs> and yeah, I think you just mentioned it, uh, being in Lovecraftian. They mentioned that this is a... Um, um, a, a horror style kind of show. Uh, and I think it's going to be pretty good. Um, yeah. the, I wouldn't, I don't know if this would be in the same vein, but the one shot they did with, um, Ashley Johnson as the DM. Oh, the, the starship one, the starship one, which I don't think this one's sci-fi or even futuristic. It might be, I don't know. Um, that one was really freaking good. We didn't talk about it on the show. Yeah. Uh, did you ever watch that? Yeah, yeah, I did. And there was another one shot that Talison DM'd, which was like kind of a really spooky one too, called The Call of Cthulhu, and it was good. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm okay. excited for this. I, I'm not looking at the language right now, but I remember in reading that like press release or whatever it was, it made it seem like this was going to be a recurring thing, kind of like make maybe a la yeah. EXU where like, cause they mentioned yeah. like this first group or this first story. Um, so this right. could be like a new recurring show, um, which is exciting. And I'm really interested to see how Talison plays into it because he wasn't, he, he made the announcement video, um, but he wasn't like one of the players or the, the DM, but they, they gave him some title. Um, right. so it seems like, I don't know if that's part of their the light, system. The light keeper. Yeah. The light keeper. Yeah. So I don't know if that but is Matt some... Mercer is the DM. Right. So... so I'm curious just to see like what the light keeper's role is. If that's like, I don't know. I, we'll have to yeah. find out. And, um, and again, for the clarity of the cast and Jolly Bimani, uh, Robbie Damon, and then Laura Bailey and Ashley Johnson are the other two, um, players at the table. Um, Bringing it back to Critical Role, just think it's interesting that uh, Anjali and uh, Robbie were in the studio. Coincidentally, they are... Maybe they were pulling double time. Maybe they were. Maybe we could talk about that on the show today. Yeah. So One, one last point on this, um, talking about the DM and what Talison was doing, is I expected Talison to be the DM at, at the start yeah. of that promo. Same. And then when it right. was Matt, I was like... <laughs> Does Matt need help? Like, is he okay? I feel like he has so much on his plate. You know, I know that like these things were probably could have even been recorded far in advance or, you know, like with Dimension 20, I don't think like I think that's fully done and has been done. But he's DMing the main campaign, this candle campaign, Dimension 20. Uh, he's a, you know, very proficient or prolific voice actor. Like, I hope, mm -hmm. hope he's not wearing yeah, himself down. Did, uh... I just did Tears of the Kingdom. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, it's full-time job. I mean, I, I think it's very fair um, in the conversation of like creative space, like staying creative and um, yeah, it's, it's a worthy concern. Not obviously that we, we don't, not, not that we don't trust Matt to be able to handle right, it. Yeah. But I think definitely out of concern for, you know, um, affection for his work. Um, yeah. I think that's definitely fair to think about. But yeah, um, a lot of projects. Yeah, but I'm I'm excited for this, uh, and it's cool that they are. You know, this is something we talked about with at, at the start of campaign three when they said they were going to do things differently, and we knew EXU was a thing. We were like, maybe on the off week every month there'll be an EXU episode, and it seems like that kind of system is what they're going to be doing with this, which I think is a really cool yeah. idea. Um, yeah, and just to clarify, Talison's role from the website: every episode will open with our lightkeeper. Uh, Talison, uh, who is serving as a steward for the audience and provides episode prologues. So like you said, very, um, 
uh, Twilight Zone-esque, yeah. I think. Um, otherwise, he will not be part of the game. The game mechanic is that even though this is a full campaign, uh, there will be three episodes to start with, and every episode begins a new story, so you can jump in at any time without needing to catch up. Interesting. Very interesting. Oh. Yeah. Well, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm excited to dive into that. Mm-hmm. Um, but okay. yeah, thanks. Thanks for bringing that up. Cause I almost completely forgot about that. Um, yeah, of course. But yeah, I think without further ado, we'll jump into the actual discussion. Um, yeah. which if you're new to us, when, uh, we like to talk critical role, we always start with a recap to get everybody back on the same page and, um, you know, all the gears whirring at maximum efficiency before we dive into theory crafting and discussion mode. Um, and we actually cut that recap out of the podcast and host it separately on YouTube for your convenience. So if you happen to find yourself on that recap video, thanks for checking us out. Um, but if you're interested to hear the full discussion, it'll be linked down below. Um, but yeah, without, uh, without much more delay, if you would like to take us off, my friend. Yeah. So this was episode 57 of campaign three, uh, the sorrow of Molesmere. What a great title. And this episode picks up with the party essentially creeping through the city of Molesmere. They just saw this eyeless freak of a spider stag and are spooked. They're mm. now navigating through the city under Pass Without a Trace, trying essentially to make it to the Guild Hollow Tower, uh, Guild Hollow Tower um, and figure out what's going on. Um, on the way, they see a number of things, one of which are these fissures that have sort of split open the ground of the town with this, um, similar to what they saw um, on the raft entering the area of Molesmere, this creeping um, miasma that seeps out of these large fissures. And these fissures only become bigger as they head towards the center of the city. Um, they are trying to figure out really where to go. We do have a moment where FCG naturally says, Hey, let's ask the change bringer. And, uh, instead of just asking actually cast divination and seems they seem to be directed, um, by a, either a fog or a whipping wind that sort of guides them down a certain path. Uh, and they eventually make their way to, um, this broken down stable that has the corpse of a horse that has sort of stretch and elongated into the wall of this building. And this is actually a common theme where not only the, the place is littered with corpses, but even the corpses themselves have begun to mutate and change and become part even of the environment as these uh, branches and vines and unnatural uh, sort of landscape seems to have taken a life of its own. Um, so with the dead stretched horse uh there's a moment where frida actually casts decompose on the horse um and it basically becomes brittle and falls away into ash and it's around this point that imogen's like hey maybe we shouldn't do this in case this is like a a last of us you know it's all connected yeah. like kind of thing um and if she's like all right you know fine that's fine um, they also, uh, as they're sort of navigating through this area, so I'm just checking my notes. Um, uh, yo, yeah, they eventually make their way to, um, these, these sort of moments in time of these spirits that 
as they're kind of traveling through the town, these spirits are there for a moment and then they sort of fade away. And in some cases later in the episode, even reach out to them to try to touch them. Uh, there's actually a moment where they kind of come to this larger courtyard where they find themselves surrounded by a number of spirits. Um, Deanna is actually going to use her channel divinity uh, to cast lens flare. Uh, and actually I think it was FCG also. Didn't he do, um, was it Deanna's channel divinity or was it FCG's that basically it's not the turn undead, but basically like destroy undead. I think it was, I think it was, um, Abria cause she said like JJ yeah. Abrams lens flare or something like that. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so, um, it's, it's basically the clerics, um, turn undead ability. Um, but at a certain level, uh, everything under CR one gets just totally destroyed. Uh, and in fact, most of the spirits do get absolutely annihilated by this. Um, except for five of them and Matt has them go to combat. So typically what we do with combat, we just cover the high notes of it. Uh, the main mechanic of these creatures is they are going to try to possess the players. Uh, one of them is immediately going to try to possess Chetney and is successful. And, um, <laughs> Uh, Travis begins to do this running joke of now being, uh, basically now being an influencer, like a social media influencer. <laughs> yeah. It's like this really hilarious bit that he keeps coming back to during this, this whole combat scene. Um, and fortunately everyone else is successful in basically staving this off. Uh, now the spirits actually aren't that powerful, um, and so they don't really have much of an issue in fighting against them. Uh, we do have a moment where FCG recognizes that he, that they and, and Frida are probably trusted companions, and so does Bonded Blessing, which is what the mechanic of um, uh, their subdomain that gives them an extra D6 to uh, their trusted companion. Uh, the Deanna is actually going to use their... Um, uh, it wasn't like diamond dust or whatever the regent was mm -hmm. to cast a, I think it's a greater restoration, uh, to cleanse the possession off of Chetney, uh, which by the way, I think might be the last of that region that she has. I'm not sure. Um, but yeah, anyway, all I to say, all to say, cast it, gets it off of him. Um, and for the most part, there's not a lot that happens in the rest of this combat other than, uh, Chetney does get the, how do you want to do this? And, um, says like, no cap, um, you know, I'm the goat or whatever. And Matt's like, you kill it. That's it. That's all you get. <laughs> like, we're not indulging on this anymore. Um, they're immediately aware of how much sound this combat must have caused and they notice this large gargantuan tower that they've been heading towards, uh, towards the center of the city. There is a shadowy winged creature that leaves the tower and begins flying away. Uh, there's perception checks from FCG and I think maybe um, Ashley Johnson's character, Fern. Uh, they roll extremely well. And basically Matt describes what we've seen so far, another creature of horror that um, it, the party kind of starts calling it a pterodactyl, but they, it's, it's a taloned, hulking, bird-like creature that lacks a head. It has no head. Um, just these hulking shoulders that are crested by basically nothing. We find out later there is a glowing purple eye uh, on the cusp of where that head should be. Um, but all that to say, the creature flies away, 
And the party also in this moment realizes that this large, massive tower that's at least 10 stories tall is is not the the Guild Hollow Tower. This is actually some central tower. Uh, and they're like, why the heck are we heading this way? Like, what, like, what are we doing here? We don't want to go this way. Uh, so there is a nearby tower that Frida ends up stepping into because they want to get a better perspective on the landscape. Um, so all that to say... Um, they uh, make their way into uh, this building. There is, like we mentioned with the horse earlier, there is this, there's tapestries. There is the um, white tree on the tapestry that they noticed back in Uthodurn, I think like on like their crest or like on a coin or something. Basically the same sigil that they've seen in Uthodurn. Um, and then there's also this this tree in the center of the room that seems to stretch and have a face on it. And as Frida kind of moves through the tower, the face sort of try, kind of creeps and mm-hmm. looks at him, uh, looks at them, excuse me, uh, in just a horrific way. Um, Frida basically fi- makes their way to the top of this tower, looks out into the distance, and they do spot the guild uh, the Guild Hollow Tower on the northwestern side of the building, this sort of slanted, almost falling building um, about half a mile away uh, and basically directs them where to go. Uh, doesn't see the stag and doesn't see, um, does actually see the uh, shadowy flying creature seemingly carrying something limp before going back into that central tower uh, at the middle of the city. Um, did I miss anything or are we good to go? To your section after the break. Oh, yeah. I think you got it. Okay. Uh, so we go to break, and then do you want to take it from there? Yes, sir. So <clears throat> we pick back up with everyone heading toward the Guild Hollow Tower while um, Frida is is keeping watch from this perch that they found. Um, FCG is going to lead the way. and actually rolls a natural one. So basically yep. immediately steps into this crack and... Uh, this one spew of the fissures. Of, yeah. yeah, yeah, one of the fissures, and uh, the spew of miasma comes out, um, basically covering everyone except Frida, who's not there. Um, so everybody's got to make a constitution save, um, and everyone does save except FCG, who has their max HP reduced by five from this. So Imogen is like, I'm taking over leading from now. Uh, so she starts leading them and rolls much higher. I think she got a 21, and they are on their way. Uh, they realize that the telepathic link that they have casted in order to stay stealthy and quiet while they're communicating is about to fade. So they warn Frida that this communication is about to falter and say, all right, you should, we're basically like halfway there. Just come meet up with us now. Um, and Frida says, I'm going to wait until you've made it a little bit further. Um, and then checks again to see where those big beasts are, the stag and the bird. Um, I don't believe Frida can see the stag, but the bird is still, you know, has successfully hunted something and is still just dealing with that. So it's not um, an issue at the moment. Um, And so then the communication fades and um, Frida shortly after begins climbing down and is going to start making their way toward the rest of the party. Um, However, Christian rolls a nat nat one on uh, his stealth check and causes basically this loud disturbance. and because of this, there's suddenly this large chorus of howls that are heard from the distance and basically start to quickly approach. Uh, the rest of the party can hear the howls from where they are as well. And so they know something's up and uh, they're kind of in a dilemma. Sh- should they go to the tower? Should they run back and try to help Frida? 
and the parties kind of split on their immediate reaction here. We have Chetney and FCG kind of immediately darting toward Frida. Uh, Fern is like, we should go to the tower. Uh, and so Imogen casts, uh, I forget the name of the spell, uh, but it's like this lightning storm, 300 feet in a random direction, essentially trying to cause a distraction for these wolves. Um, so she does that. Then Fern and Deanna decide we're going to the tower um, and Imogen follows them after she casts the spell. <clears throat> but meanwhile, FCG and Chetney had had darted off. So once that spell happens, um, the howling and the wolves seem to change directions and start heading toward that. And because of this, they are now going to intersect with Chetney and FCG. So they uh, immediately hide okay. and FCG casts stone shape or stone wall in order to kind of uh, camouflage by a nearby rock. And uh, from their vantage point, they can see what is causing these howls. And there is yet another Dark Souls boss that Matt has created. Um, Such, it is, that's a perfect way to describe it, by the way. That's totally what I thought of. That is exactly <laughs> my same thought. Sorry, we'll talk about it more. Continue. Um, and this is, we find out, the Wolf King that we have been hearing about. <clears throat> and it's these five massive dire wolf heads with like elongated torsos, but they're all connected to one central body, one hind quarters, and they're moving as a unified entity, uh, kind of like a hydra, but with wolves. Um, mm -hmm. so Frida, who, you know, has been making their way to the party, makes it all the way to the tower where the girls already are. And so the whole group is now just waiting on FCG and Chet. Uh, Imogen decides to try sending another message, hoping maybe it'll work over the shorter distance. And Matt has Laura roll a D 100, like he has previously when they've been trying this type of magic. And she rolls an 89 and the message successfully makes it way through um and she just asks hey we're all at the tower where are you guys um so fcg you know gets the message and they double back to the tower uh make it safely and um once again like blake mentioned this tower is kind of like lopsided or sagging and these like trees that you know in this corrupted forest that are everywhere are partially kind of holding it up almost mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so because of this, there's not like a, let's just go into the entrance of the tower. Um, they have to actually like climb up and uh, find their way in. <clears throat> and so they're climbing up to this kind of like middle portion of the tower. And uh, Deanna has cast a guardian of faith kind of at the bottom of where they were climbing just to protect them. And the Wolf King has made his way to them during this time. And they are uh, a decent ways up and the Wolf King can't really climb. So they're not really in any harm uh and the guardian of faith that deanna cassid is attacking the wolf king um periodically and since it can't climb it basically just gives up and uh walks away so the party now having made it into the interior of the tower begin to climb up the tower um and inside it's of course ruined it's been looted um everything is disheveled uh one because of the age and the looting but also because the tower is leaning again um, they are inspecting as they go and Fern rolls an absurdly high, um, I believe perception check or, or something. And she 31 or something yeah. stupid. <laughs> and she basically gets the insight that this indeed was Ludness's tower. He once lived here, or at least used this place. Um, and as they're going, uh, one thing I wanted to note is that Frida is like dumping oil out saying that, you know, when we're leaving here, like I'm lighting this place up. So in each floor, in each little space, they're kind of dousing um, certain areas mm -hmm. with the oil. 
Um, so again, they're making their way up and they're coming up a staircase and they encounter this corpse skeleton um, that has seemingly died because of a trap that is on the staircase. So they, you know, do their due diligence and find this glyph that they then successfully um, deactivate before moving forward. And they arrive at what is seemingly the top floor of this tower <clears throat> and they're doing more investigating and Chetney comes across these notes that are strewn about up here. Um, like, and again, th these trees and these woods and branches have like come through overgrown all of this. So there's like old ancient notes, like behind tree trunks, um, just the scraps of what was left here after all the looters. And, um, Chetney takes a closer look at one of these and has Deanna help him. And from what they can salvage, uh, these notes ask tons of questions. They're like annotations on research, um, talking about, the patterns of arcana across cultures and times and different exandrian dates and the celestial effects of those dates and recurring events. Um, and specifically, there are also names of specialists to reach mm -hmm. out to, such yeah. as Vatora, <laughs> Vishtaran, and Laren. That's um, right. <laughs> big name drop there. Uh, so they're collecting what papers they can, and there also seem to be these pages torn from a religious text and there are circles around different things and notes that say, like, uh, this is religious propaganda and this is contradictory. And um, uh, there's proof that there is no real truth or plan to what the gods present. And it seems like this is all preparing, like, it, it's almost if somebody's preparing to give a TED Talk, I think is what Matt says or yeah, something, like right. a speech that was being prepared. Right. Yeah. Um, and finally, there are notes with this heavy, heavy emphasis on the Matron of Ravens saying, yes. what is her name? Yeah, I have to find her name. Oh, my gosh. We'll, we'll be diving into that. Um, oh, my gosh. But so Chetney, you know, in finding these notes is like, well, let me see if there's any any other like clues I can pick up by seeing like, you know, if somebody wrote on the wall, maybe there's an etching of the writing still beneath it that we could decipher. And so he makes this investigation check and doesn't find any new notes or anything. But what he does find is this weird circular space on one of the walls in this room where like the dust is landing on it differently. So like, there's clearly like something there either hidden or magical or, or something. So they begin to investigate it and Deanna casts light on her staff uh, to get near it. And when she does the light on the staff kind of gets sucked into it essentially um, almost as if like the spell slot was consumed by whatever this is. So the group is then debating on like, okay, what other spells could we like cast into this thing? If, if that's like the key to opening it um, or whatever, they don't really know what it is, but that's, that's what they're trying to figure out. So while they're talking about that, um, Frida, uh, Christian rather asks Matt, like, Hey, does any of those names you were just talking about from those notes, do they, do they ring any bells? Because like, there's something familiar about this place. Um, so Matt has, you know, free to make a, a history check, I think, and rolls poorly. So Matt yeah. describes that it's like a memory that you, just under the surface, you can't really get anything out of. So Imogen is like, hey, you know, FCG and I ha can dive into people's minds and help them remember things like we've done it before. Mm -hmm. Like, would you be OK with that? And um, Frida is. But now they're like, is this the time to do it right now? And they're still trying to figure out this circle thing on the wall. So while they're debating all that, uh, Chetney looks up at the ceiling and notices all these overgrown branches and stuff. And is like, well, let me climb up there and see if there's anything more to discover up top. And as he does, he's kind of tearing through the branches and he comes across something like soft, something that is not like the other branches. 
and he pulls his hand down and it's like covered in blood. Uh, so he's like, I'm going to get down. And yeah. <laughs> he, he starts climbing down and there's this huge thud and then another. And then that describes yet another Dark Souls boss, honestly, of this like bestial, but like skinless, um, like yeah. fresh creature uh, with all these like maws begin to emerge from the mess of the branches above. And he says, like, its form is yet undecided as it's being inspired, like, by the party and by, like, the various people it's seen come through here. And as it's crawling forth, that's where the episode ends. Um, which, again, episode 57 of Campaign 3. And if you uh, are just watching the recap video and want to hear our full discussion on it, it will be linked down below. All right. Great job. Um, Matt, clearly just finished his second playthrough of Elden Ring is my guess. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, who knows which Dark Souls games he was playing, but, um, Feels man, yeah, I loved how you said that though. I was like, yep. Another Dark Souls boss. Absolutely. So, um, in the town, it definitely has like vibes of, you know, I can't think of any of the towns and, uh, Dark Souls, but you get it. So, yeah. Yeah. It's definitely got that vibe though. Um, very creepy, but mm -hmm. you know, as always, um, what'd you think? Uh, it was great. Yeah. Good episode. I, it, it definitely picked up a lot more for me towards the end in the sense of, um, I love the creepy vibe. I definitely appreciate the episode, but there were definitely like moments of like, okay, where's this going to go? Like what's, what's going to happen here? Um, and a lot of questions, mm -hmm. um, questions that i'm uncertain we're going to get answers to very curious about the flying creature the stag obviously um the central massive tower um you know will they eventually make their way there I, a lot of questions but being someone who adored calamity um man i loved the name drop of laren um so ended on an extremely high note for me i was like Yes. And also just the notes on the matron of Ravens, you know, what's her name? I must find her name, dude. I am such a freaking junkie for that kind of stuff. Um, so ended on an extreme high note for me, for sure. But how about you? Yeah. Uh, same here. Um, you know, the episode was really fun. This has been, there's been a lot of like really just kind of like fun D and D esque moments in, in this whole chunk of episodes and just more of the same here. Um, not, not, I don't mean this in a, in a direct, in a negative way rather, but just not a whole lot happened up until we get that big reveal. And like, we're, yeah. we seem to be in like the midst of the reason why they came here is where this episode left off. So, um, it's definitely got me hyped there at the end, uh, for the same reasons you were just speaking on, but yeah, I liked it. It was a fun episode. Um, I, uh, there's a lot to kind of there's a lot to dive into, but there's not too much to talk about. Like there's not many subjects yeah. to go in, but I, there's like some deep subjects. Yeah. I, it feels like there are like general observations to be made about like the state of Molesmir, the fissures, the miasma, you know, I love the theme that Matt's rolling with of this like corruption that reduces your max HP, the spirits locked in time. And then separate from that, I think there's a lot of, lore and theory for us to discuss the guild hollow tower the notes you know yeah. conversations there um 
and we could tackle this, I guess, any number of ways, but, but yeah, you're right. There's not a lot of things to break down, I guess. Right. Um, though we did have another moment of Frida trying to sacrifice themselves. Uh, yeah. I'm telling you, man, this is an Aormaton thing. We've talked about this so <laughs> many times. FC, and I, I, at this point, I'm wondering if FCG, if Sam and Christian in sort of like an unspoken way are sort of like feeding off each other. Um, there are so many moments where both of these characters try to, you know, make the saving play, I guess. <clears throat> yeah. And, um, it's just funny. It's like, here we are again. Yeah. <laughs> I, so I still think, I mean, I don't really see this having a happy ending. I mean, it's something we talked about last episode. Yeah. So I won't You're talking about specifically FCG and Frida. Yeah. Right. And yeah. just like the, the logistics of what, I mean, anything could happen. It's D and D like literally anything could happen. Like, so I'm not saying they're bounded by anything, but I, I just don't see it having, having a happy ending because I feel like, I don't know, one, the, the sacrificial mindset you just referenced, but two, like they, these are guest characters at the end of the day. And they've, they've built like a really, I'm not saying it's like a deep romance, but like both of their characters have fallen quickly and, and hard. So yeah, right. I, I don't imagine they're just going to be like Christian's a permanent cast member and FCG and Frida are going to stay together forever. Like I imagine it's going to either be tra a tragic separation of these two or, you know, any, of course, any story narration reason of, Oh, we got to go do this. And while y'all go meet up with your friends. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, uh, they're definitely having a sacrificial off who can, who can be more selfless. Yeah. <laughs> it feels like, um, but yeah, okay, there's so I think we should I probably save the the lord stuff for yeah. the end and just kind of tackle the other things we want to before we dive into that. Um I'm just looking over my notes really quick. Um we kind of already talked about it, but just real quick the creatures. Um I very dark souls. I feel I feel like Matt is like kind of um what's the word? Not like not like cath catharsis, but like it's kind of just like exercising some like, uh, I don't know, like Lovecraftian muscle or something. Yeah. yeah. Uh -huh. um, but I'm curious if. Because there's, there's obviously this corruption that is, is doing what it's doing to the trees and the spirits and the people like the horse that you mentioned in, in your first half of the recap. Like it, there's obviously that corruption. But then there's these like abominations on top of that with the, the stag, mm -hmm. the wolf and the bird. Is this just the normal, you know, biodiversity in a situation like this, or could those three potentially be other sentinel beasts like, uh, yeah, like is that Umahara? What they're called? I or... I don't know. That that might is that from Breath of the Wild? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I, I sentinel beast has been in my head, but like I I think I'm it might just be something mean. I keep using that's not actually I think Breath what of the called. Wild is divine beast. Oh yeah, that's right. But but that is. That is the flavor, though, that I'm getting as well is, yeah, it's something it seems to be more than just. I mean, it could be just abominations, but I think it would be cool if these are like the remainders of those divine creatures, long corrupted and transformed yeah. um, into a horrific way. So, <laughs> yeah, I, I feel way more strongly about that potential with the stag and the the bird. A little bit less so with the wolf because Matt, you know, he, he even, I think, 
said as much in the episode, but it was kind of like a rat king, just a wolf version, which if you guys don't which know, I didn't know that. I didn't know that reference, by the way, so a rat king is like an actual name for a, a creature in, in the real world. Um, but it's, it's what happens when like, there's a bunch of rats that all like live together or there's like too crowded in an area, their tails all get intertwined and they can't un intertwine them. So like, there's like this huddled mass of rats that like forcibly like have to live and travel together. Uh, and it's called a rat King. So this is just kind of like the wolf version. What? Dude, what? Ew, what? Yeah. (laughs) This is awful, bro. And so obviously, obviously this is slightly different because in, in that case, they're individual rats that just like get, you know, tangled these wolves yeah. were, are clearly like one entity. They're not just five tangled entities. Um, yeah. But yeah, so I don't know. Like, I don't know if uh, I'm not, I'm not sold on the, the divine beasts or whatever they're called theory, but I would be less inclined to believe there was like a hydra wolf, but I mean, who knows? Maybe it was just a normal wolf and the corruption did that to it. It, it did surprise me. I was expecting like a Chetney origin story and not yeah yeah horrific creature um so Me too. Seeming, seemingly unrelated um mm-hmm. and more the animal dire wolf transformed kind of thing um but yeah uh also a horrific creature <laughs> yeah and then whatever we have coming out of the ceiling at the end there which yeah was honestly the most disturbing do you think i, I didn't mention this in the recap but when they were coming up the tower and it's kind of fuzzy, um, but there was some mention of like something on the ground or there's some texture of something. And Laram yeah. was like, maybe it's like a lizard that shed his skin. Yeah. And Matt basically res- responded and was like, yeah, it, it is like, um, cause I think they thought it was like dust or something and basically caked on. Uh, and it's actually what, I think Chetney observes in this circular thing on the wall is that this caked on dust isn't quite settling similarly as it is to the rest of the wall. But this dust basically is this flaky skin, like, you know, released thing like a husk that seems to layer and cake much of the area. So yeah, presumably is belonging to this big, slender sludgy gooey fleshy thing um yeah so yeah. i i wasn't sure what to, what to parse there if, if if the implication was like that was this creature and it's like molted and it was you know cocooning into a new form mm-hmm. um which i guess is is makes sense um but i'm so curious about how this thing works with how matt described it of like it didn't know what it was yet and it was like you know, going to yeah. build what it was based on what it had seen and what it was seeing right now. Um, what the heck is that? Like, yeah, like these other, and maybe, maybe that is like a, a clue out to how these other abominations were created. Um, maybe that's just for whatever reason, why, how this corruption works. Um, and this is a, a weird potential tangent, not married to it, but that whole aspect of this made me think of, possibility like what like what kind of creature can decide what it wants to be like you know that's just not normal um and there is this whole theme of of possibility and the dodecahedron and the 
the dunamancy, which we all, which lewdness was obviously very keyed mm. into and in researching. So is there, and we know, you know, whatever happened here hundreds of years ago has happened that caused all this corruption. Could, could the dunamancy, could the beacon, could that literally be tied in here and why, why this thing has that potential to be whatever it wants to be in that way. Yeah, that's an interesting theory. I, I don't know. I don't know. It's one of those things where I'm like, it's just crazy enough. It could be true. Because <laughs> um, it could be that Matt's phrasing is absolutely uh, intentional there. Um, I, I'm more terrified of the, the, the combat that I assume is clearly coming. I don't think this thing's going to, I guess it could be a horrific creature that's like, hello. <laughs> um, you know, it'd be kind of interesting. Um, but yeah, I guess we're going to find out more about it as we see it in combat this, uh, next episode. Yeah. I mean, there's the, it seems like they're going to fight it, but I guess they could either a run away or B if they figure out real quick, what's going on with that symbol, Maybe that does something like maybe they can. I don't know because we don't know what that symbol does. So I guess I think they're not going to leave because they there's the carrot of the thing on the wall. There's also the ledger, the scroll that they hadn't finished. They wanted to um, make a copy of it. Right. Um, And they or no, they were mending it, I think, um, so they could take it with them. Um, So I doubt they just up and leave to run away. But maybe they hold it off enough to get what they need and move on. Um, it would have to be a pretty big answer, though, to be like, mission accomplished, let's go home. Yeah. Um, and they seem, they don't seem like they want to travel over to that central tower either. Um, they seem more averse to it. So uh, it seems like this is like the key spot to be in. Yeah, I agree. I, um, I was wondering what like what would satisfy them to be like, all right, we came we got what we came mm-hmm. for. It doesn't right. seem like the information they've already gotten was sufficient enough. And maybe it ends up having to be. Um, but yeah, I agree that they're probably gonna fight this thing and then try to figure out what that symbol is. I mean, who knows what it is, but I'm assuming if they figure that out behind that door might be the sufficient answer they came looking for. Yeah. Is it, is is your take? It's like a sigil that's like protecting another, like a secret room of some kind. Yeah. I, that's what I think it's like some sort of, uh, yeah. L- l- hidden door. If, if not a literal door, then maybe just maybe, I don't know, but something to that effect where they like unlock it and then they will have access to mm-hmm. another yeah. room or maybe just items. Um, I think, I think Matt, and we we don't know what this symbol is, so this is just a, a guess. But I think Matt has once before, maybe in campaign two, um, used this mechanic of like a a lock, for lack of a better word, where like you had to insert either a certain amount of spell slots or a certain mm, okay. type of spell. Um, at least I'm pretty sure he did. I think I I did this. I can't remember in in that one campaign we played a while back now, but. If I did, it's probably because I stole it from Matt, but I definitely, so I don't know if I if it, I'd actually did steal that from Matt or if that's just something that I yeah. stumbled across elsewhere, but that's what my mind went to. I don't remember only because, you know, naturally our campaign ended by level five and I tried to block it out of my memory to not be hurt 
by the fact we never finished it. Um, but yeah, no, that's interesting. I, I guess since the, the language used about it, like absorbing the spell, um, I guess it makes sense. Um, I guess it either needs a certain number of spells or it needs like the right kind of spell, maybe. Yeah. Um, I'm totally oblivious to this kind of mechanic, by the way. So um, what do I know? But yeah, it's interesting. But yeah, then I'm, so, I'm, just, I'm curious what is in there or what might yeah, be behind there. A private study of sorts. So pre- presumably next episode, combat, they find out what's in the room and perhaps get what they need to return to Uthodurn. Um, do you see this next episode being the last episode of this arc? I've been thinking that for like the last five episodes, honestly. So (laughs) yes, but I don't know. I mean, it's anyone's guess really. So it it seems like this, this Malaeus mirror arc will be the end. Like, you know, if they finish this and go back to Uthodurn and, and talk to the King and queen or whoever, I don't see them getting like another quest to go on that we then follow with this group still. Mm-hmm. Um, so if, if this arc ends in one more episode or not, I'm not sure, but I do think that this is, this will be the end of this group when it does. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What about you? Are you feeling that way? Well, last one I said one, maybe two. And now I'm saying one, maybe two. <laughs> Again, <laughs> only because this episode moved so slowly in terms of like progressing. Mm-hmm. It was also a short episode. It was only four, uh, excuse me, three and a half hours long. Yeah. Um. So depending on the runtime of tomorrow's episode, I think the combat combat will happen. They'll discover what they need. And then either that will be a breadcrumb to something else they need to go look at, or they'll have, they'll be satisfied. Um, it would be nice. Well, geez, I don't know. Now that I think about it, let's see. Tomorrow's the 11th. Um, there's only one more Thursday. So the question I wonder, and, and obviously not necessarily planning it out this way. They're probably just playing and letting the story take it as it goes. But I wonder, would they return to the other campaigns group next Thursday before going on a two-week break? Or would they end it next Thursday? And then there's the off week with uh candelabra <laughs> uh <laughs> and then starting in june we see what's happening with uh team they're saying aol is that yeah. right yeah. yeah team aol i don't know <laughs> i could see that so i guess we'll find i get well i mean obviously we'll know for sure tomorrow but um i have a very difficult time imagine i mean i said this already many times um very difficult time imagining this going beyond two more episodes yeah yeah and i mean if if the other group goes as long as this one goes which maybe it does maybe it doesn't then we're looking at like five six months total of of the group not being together yeah which is crazy to think about it's weird yeah it's weird um yeah, and without sounding, I almost regret even saying it. Um, without sounding too critical, this we talked about this last time. This definitely felt more like creating space for summer plans, other pro, which is fine, by the way. I don't have an issue with this. Creating plans, creating space for plans other than Critical Role for some of the cast to take time off, 
to pursue some other projects. You know, we mentioned Matt doing 10,000 things and yet he's in the studio all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, which is what I would probably ascribe to only because in hindsight, I guess we're six or seven episodes deep on this storyline. I think, yeah, some of this, some of this probably wasn't super necessary for the sake of the story. Uh, I wouldn't call it filler, but like, um, I think the Altgar store was important for Chetney's story. I don't know how important the the length of the episode with um, not uh, not Umahara Umahara is that the divine the, beast? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah. Um, in an important detail, I don't know if we needed a whole episode on it. This is me just kind of meandering about like the length of time we've been here, um, and ultimately just getting to the point that of what I just said, which was I think this was more scheduling overall than it was. You know, this was envisioned to be a long story, I guess. Yeah. I don't know what uh, I'm saying. No, I'm yeah, I'm with you. I agree. And um, I, I feel like it's it's soured a lot of people, actually, which we, we've talked about the whole we've talked about like kind of this whole thing a, a lot. So I won't dive into it, but I have noticed um, noticed a lot of that. A lot of people being I don't know if upset is the right word, but just like not not enjoying mm-hmm. that, that the, they've been split this long. Um, but I think on a, everything you just said, but also on a, a meta level, I think this is just another peg in the wall, another domino, um, of them setting up the future of critical role without mm. the cast that we've always known. Like, I think, it's, you know, it's just, yeah. they're slowly doing that just like with EXU, um, right. introducing these guests like Robbie and now Christian and Abria that are here for a while, like getting, getting the audience used to, you know, what if these people aren't here? Like, are mm-hmm. you still gonna, are you still gonna come check out the show? Now I'm still hoping that like a completely stark hundred percent new cast. That's not Matt or any of the, any of the, you know, main players. I feel like we're still a ways off from that, but I think this is just, you know, setting the table for that potentially, you know, getting, uh, getting the audience used to that. I think that's fair. I think that's fair when you think about the brand of Critical Role and like where does this go long term? We've talked about this. How long do we see this group? And maybe they, you know, till they retire, they're doing campaigns. It's like campaign eight is like their yeah. final one. Who knows? But also, excuse me, also the length of time commitment and the excitement of other projects. I could see them getting to getting to a point. Hang on. Excuse me. Start vomiting. <laughs> all of a sudden, it just hit me. Um, getting to a point where they're they're like, yeah, I think we're ready for something else. So all that to say, <clears throat> I think you're right. I think there is something like that happening, or at least there is like a, a backhanded backhand is not the right word, like a more subtle, um, like yeah, we want to kind of let this marinate a little bit. I do think similar to EXU, EXU season one, I think as they put it, I think that was sour in a lot of people's mind because of how. And I don't remember the full context of what we said, but how it was presented versus how it was created a lot of frustration. And something we mentioned back then was like, man, if they had marketed this a bit different, I think people would have done better with it. And I'm just finding myself in that same space now where I think if if a tweet from Matt or whoever had come out at the start of this that was basically like, hey, we have a lot to unpack with this group. And, you know, 
saddle up. We're probably going to be here for a while. Yeah. Like something like that, I think probably would have helped just gauge a lot of frustration. I think is just all around like gauging expectations. And I think that's in many elements of our life. Um, yeah. so, you know, like it's mother day's mother's day coming up. And I was like to my wife, Hey, what are you, what, what are you expecting for this day? <laughs> <laughs> so smart you know, man. I know almost 10 years of marriage. So <laughs> anyway, uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, again, you know, we've, uh, We've kind of talked about this this issue from many different sides, but would love to hear y'all's thoughts in the comments about it. Um, but I do think you know soon is when we will probably be transitioning to the other group. But which I we've I've really missed them. I know you have too, and I know a lot of people have. Uh, I'm gonna start to miss these characters if it's a, if it's three months, you know, with with the other crew. Um, but it'll it'll just be all the more glorious when they do reunite. Oh, yeah, um, it'll be very sweet. Yeah, can we? Can we park on that other group for a second? Yeah, yeah. So all I was saying, uh, you know, we had a couple people in the studio recording for Candle. No, I can't remember it. Candle, Candle Obscura, Obscura, I think. Yeah. Candle Obscura. <laughs> <laughs> I really want to keep saying Candelabra for some reason. Um, it's like, I don't know why it's so stuck in my mind. Anyway, um, I think it, we, we said this a few episodes ago. On who will be the guest characters. And I think I was like, man, I, I, I would love for it to be Robbie for the crown keepers. It seems like it, it could work. Yada, yada. This, I don't know, man, maybe they're doing double time. Maybe there is like a, Hey, yeah, let's do our, our favorite critical role group. And then we'll do, you know, candle obscura as well. I don't know, but it's, it's definitely possible. And I mean, well, C Christian is new, but Abria's been a, a you know former guest and former dm so it kind of makes sense that if we brought some more former people in for the other team but we could also to throw it out there we have um you know abria here and we have matt doing the dimension 20 stuff what if we got some dimension 20 or even some oh, more worlds yes. beyond number alumni maybe some Lou wilson that. some brennan lee mulligan um We've Bro, also already had Erica, so we could just true. knock off the other two of Worlds Beyond. I would adore having Brennan and uh, Lou come in as guest characters. That would be so much fun. Yeah, uh, Brennan's very, and I know I say this all the time, <laughs> very quickly becoming one of my favorite D&D uh, &D players, characters, what, what have you. Um, same with Lou. Lou's great. Um, so, yeah, I would love that. That would be awesome. Yeah, me too. Um, all right. A anything else before we jump back no. on? All right. <laughs> a couple things I wanted to mention before diving into the, the lore bomb. Um, yes. One is, uh, da, 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 no, I just lost my place in my notes. Uh, okay. The Imogen's message. Um, I guess it, it clearly has a lot to do with this D100 role. Because she tried this short distance message a few episodes mm -hmm. back in Uthadurn and it didn't work. So, oh, remember she when after the uh, Umadara situation, Chetney, you know, stayed behind in the throne room. After that, it all cleaned did up. Did she they, try it or did she say, I'm going to do it? Then they talked themselves out of it. I think she tried it. <clears throat> and okay. she rolled the D100 and, and it didn't work. So. Either the D100 has a large emphasis on the success or failure, which would make sense. 
And maybe the mm-hmm. parameters change based on, are you trying to communicate with somebody far away or close? All that's possible. Um, <clears throat> it could also just be a Matt thing. Like maybe Matt's like, yeah, okay. You know, this one can work. Mm-hmm. Um, but a third interesting possibility would be if in any way magic was coming back. Like if, if, if any way, like, you know, the effects had been lessened. Um, I, I don't, I feel like that's not the case. I feel like it's probably the D100. Um, but just interesting that it that it didn't work super recently and now it is working again. Yeah. Um, we talked about how does this kind of resol- resolve itself and how it kind of naturally subsiding could be the case. I agree with you that I don't think that is what's happening. I think Matt even specifically said something like... Um, you know, because of the short distance is why it seems to have worked. Um, but she, like you said, she did also roll high, I think an 87 or an 89. Yeah. yeah, Um, I was trying to find the notes on the exact language around, um, her trying to reach out to Chetney. It's, it's not on the notes. So, um, so I can't remember, but, yeah, interesting that it didn't work in Uthodurn, but it worked here. Um, so I would assume it's related to the role for sure. Yeah. Um, but so, yeah, I just wanted to to point that out. And then the only other thing before we dive into the lore is um, not, it's not really a big thing, but Chetney, you know, when he was being, or right after the possession in that one fight, I think, uh, they were like singing Backstreet Boys and he was like, yeah, I was in a boy band in the Menagerie Coast. And Abria was like, yeah, that's how we met. I, I'm wondering if like, obviously in the moment that was just kind of a, a joke, but I'm wondering if like that is canon because, you know, he just keeps throwing <laughs> in like, you know, 200 years ago I was here and yeah. X I was there. So I I hope at some point we do find out more of like a concrete history of Chetney because I'm yeah. so curious. Right. Um, He's like your drunk uncle. He just says things and you're like, is that true? <laughs> yeah. <Hold on. laughs> exactly. That's um, a good analogy. Yeah. Um, but yeah, okay. That that's all I had, unless you had anything else before we go in. No, yeah. Let's um <clears throat> let's talk the lore bombs. Dude, this gave me such a calamity vibe, which I yeah. am a drug addict for calamity. <laughs> um, my all-time favorite piece of content in anything, probably. Um so good. They're Man, there's like two separate things that I want to talk about. Um, I loved the Laren mention and Ludna seemingly studying the ley lines and studying like historians on it. Um, it's interesting that he has access. I, I had assumed Laren was sort of like lost to time along with Avalier. Um, but Ludna seems to have acquired her work, which I think's very interesting. Or mm. not her work, but I guess like content that um uh references her um so there's that and then we've been talking a lot about what's the deal with the matron of ravens why does lewdness seem obsessed and we talked about how in the previous episode you and i discussed is this just a long con or is there something more there and a little pixelist prediction paid off it seems like there is something more there that it wasn't just part of this charade, but maybe it's admiration for the matron of Ravens in some way. Something we've thrown out is did lewdness 
know the Matron of Ravens and being obsessed with her name is not just what Chetney said, you know, there's power in a name. Um, or Travis actually out of character said, um, or is this someone who knew the Matron of Ravens and is now obsessed that the name has been wiped from his memory and out of sort of like this cathartic um, obsession, you yeah. know, of like, I got to know, I have to scratch that itch. Um, I'm just rambling, by the way. What, where, where should we start with this? What do you, what do you think? What do you want to dive into? Um, no, that, that's what we're here for. So I guess first and foremost, the, the names, Laren specifically, because I don't think Vatora and Vishtaran, um, you know, y'all, y'all correct me in the comments, but I, I, those were first time name drops as far as I'm concerned. Like, I don't think those were referencing anything that we were aware of already. Um, and as such, not much to discuss. Um, but Laren, obviously there is. And, you know, you were just talking about the implications of what that meant. I, from the language, and I wish I had written it down verbatim so I could confidently reference this, but the language that that was being brought up in, you know, they were talking about like the annotations and the, and the research and the questions. And it was like, you know, these are the people that like have, have dealt in these things. So like, go talk to them. That's the vibe I got. Like, go talk to Laren, not like go study the text on Laren because Laren should be forgotten to history. So I, I actually played it through four or five times just to see the moment. He says he actually, it's a two part sentence. He okay. says, um, basically like those who are presently experts on it. And then those who've like come before mm-hmm. is like the back half of that statement, which presumably is the reference to Laren. Um, though we've had a Bria tweet about how basically long story short, is it possible Laren survived the fall of Avalier, uh, which would be a little no. an interesting, an interesting detail. I don't know. No, she didn't. I don't think so. <laughs> so is that not what you're saying though? Like, no, I was just saying that, you know, we've talked about how ancient lewdness is. I think oh, he might have oh, known yeah. her like pre-calamity. Like, yeah. Yeah. Like go call your friend Laren. Yeah. Okay, well, not yeah. that they were friends, but just that like yeah. this Laren person is an expert in this stuff. I'm you wanting to think they, she was his girlfriend. <laughs> is what you're saying. Yeah. She got with him after her and, uh, <laughs> Oh, why can't I think of his a, name? It was a fling. Yeah. Uh, oh man, I can't remember either. What was his name? Oh, it's a changeling. It's power in a name. Ugh. Um, I'm on a Baron Pacia, Serret, Xerxes, um, Loquacious Seely. Uh, Loquacious. Yeah, maybe after yeah. she, uh, after Loquacious and her kind of had the. Bro, the this just makes me want to watch Calamity <clears throat> and talk about Calamity. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, me too. But yeah, okay, so obviously it's not concrete, but to me, and fitting in, and I'll touch on this again when we get to our next subject, but to me, it made sense that like Laren was a was an expert of the time. Uh, because again, not that she was like literally erased from history in the same way the Matron made her name forgotten, but Laren was right. like forgotten. That was part of like the tragedy of her character, right? Right. So yeah, it doesn't... Like basement, so to speak. Yeah, and again, Ludinus. I'm not saying he then therefore has to be a contemporary to have known who she was, because he's literally made it his life's work 
to study this mm-hmm. stuff. So if anyone was going to find out who Laren was, he would be that person. Yeah. So I right. think it's possible for either way, but I think it makes sense that, that this is just another point in the column of, of he was around back then and he's that yeah. old. Mm-hmm. Um, which, <clears throat> uh, I don't know if, I don't know if there's like too, too much more to like actually dissect on the Laren reference. Um, but feel free to jump in. But to add on to that, this matron thing, I, I think like I think he was a contemporary. If he was a contemporary of Laren, then he probably was a contemporary of the the mortal matron, whoever yeah. that was. Yeah. Um. And yeah, he seems obsessed with getting her name. Which again, maybe it is like kind of this like insanity of like he did know it, and it's been wiped from him. Um. Or maybe it's a, you know, his quest to to destroy the gods like maybe he knows like that's a linchpin in this in this plan like this lady destroyed one or you know like who knows what the exact reasoning is maybe maybe they were like lovers you know or something or like i don't think this is this is coming to me now so this isn't pre-thought out uh but what if even like lewdness was the one originally like figuring out the ritual to ascension and she like stabbed him in the back and did it before he could or something. And, you know, then it more seemed like he would just be focused on her and he's focused on all the gods, but I don't know. Yeah. I don't think it's that, although I think that's a really interesting way to consider it. I think in his speech before the apogee solstice was finalizing, I think he speaks about the matron in very much like a way of admiration. Yeah. True. Um, but and it, and it could be i think i think maybe you've said this too like it could be just that like um and you said it again a second ago like the matron of ravens is the linchpin like is the proof that the gods can be killed that they can be subverted and so you know the subsequent worship of the matron of ravens like makes or the obsession i guess makes sense um there is this sort of awkward tension though the matron of ravens being a god now that lewdness is you know, wants to get rid of. Or yeah, 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 that's part. That part is still a bit difficult to parse for me. Um, but yeah, the whole I must know her name, and I, I wonder in the last several hundred years, like how has that progressed? Like, is he still maybe he knows it by now? Yeah. You know? Which, which, what? How does that tie in to the plan with Ruidus and Predathos? And you know, we kind of just assume that like cracking open the Majora's mask moon was going to like, you know, solve everything. Um, it definitely feels like there's this other big part of his plan in motion in some way, maybe even unrelated to Pradathos. like Pradathos, Like, I think it'd be Just, wild if Pradathos was actually the smoke screen for something else or, or a big part of the means to an end for not, not the plan, but part of the plan for something else. Yeah. Um, wild to consider. Yeah, it does. It does seem like it was just the means to an end. And I guess the interesting question is, does he know that? Like, what's what's the next? What's the final step? Is it for him to ascend and fulfill the power vacuum of all the gods? Is it uh, like, a? I don't know if selfless is the right word, but is it more of like a selfless? Like, no, I don't want to be the gods. I just want to rid the world of the gods, you know? And I wonder if he does, in, at least in his own mind, have some sort of assurance that Pradathos won't turn on everyone else, 
you know, or if that's just a risk he was willing to take, or if he has some contingency in play yeah. to kill Pradathos afterwards or something. I don't know. It, it, I think mechanically there's always going to be deities, you know? And so, like, I don't see the world moving to a deity-less world. I just think about, like, mechanically, like, paladins, clerics, um, not class-related, but, like, priests, like, religious people. It, it becomes kind of awkward, I guess, to now not have any deities, um, which is why I'm more under the impression that Ludinus, if especially if he's from the Age of Arcanum, which a central theme is the hubris of 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 man i guess to say it in one way i think there is this ascension to godhood the soul god you know maybe to blot out all the other ones i don't know but something there beyond just like well we killed all the gods let's all retire um i don't know i don't know um maybe that's cliche that he would just you know wants to become a god i, I don't know but I don't I don't know either, but he does seem I feel like he's earnest in his desire to get rid of them. Yeah, but I do I do think right. it's interesting if if that desire stems from him wanting that power or if it, it really mm -hmm. is like a for the good of mankind. Yeah. His notes also which good of mankind, <clears throat> I mean, you know, I loved his Matt's line, um, you know, I'll let me be your villain. Like I'm yeah, I'm happy to do that. Um it, it does seem like his portrayal it's interesting, like the the sort of double sides we're getting here of like from having watched Legend of Ox Machina, the Matron of Ravens talking about the sanctity of a soul and how the role of her role is to ferry someone to that place, and it's it's very um, pure and um, I can't think of the phrasing like uh, not celestial. Like it it seems like authentically divine. I guess is kind of the wording. I can I can't really seem to find the right phrasing for it. But then we, excuse me, then we have Laren, Laren, we have uh, um, Deanna saying like, or maybe it was Frida, I can't remember, like if the matron goes away, like, don't you just still make it there naturally? Um, and then Ludinus' lines in his notes about the gods, I think if I remember the phrasing correctly, like not having like a master plan, but like the impression I got was kind of more of like, the Greek gods versus like the Christian God, whereas the Greek gods like were just sort of like this echelon above humans who kind of did their own thing and just like, yeah, this is pretty cool. We're gods. Um, it almost feels like lewdness is implying like there is no like big altruistic motive, but that these are deities. And I don't know if lewdness said this, but someone basically said like, they need us more than we need them. Um, oh. I don't know. Sorry, I just okay. I lost our cams for a second, but we're good. Yeah, I, I, I'm with you. I think that's a really interesting question. And again, what his notes were presenting, and and presumably his entire character motivation is these things that who even are the gods? It seems like there might be an interesting answer to that question because yeah, it was posed in Calamity, kind of. That was a theme of. Um, I, it was, I think it was either Xerxes or 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 Asmodeus that said that um, like, you know, and also something along the lines of like, you didn't create us, we created you. And there's just some yeah. really interesting stuff there. And one of the things I think you were referencing a second ago is the, the lewdness quote during that time was that he was like, 
circling the inconsistencies and contradictions. And he said that this is proof that there's no real truth or plan in what the gods present. So like he seemingly believes that like they're, they're not actual, uh, I'm being real loose with the language here, but like, they're not truly deities necessarily. Like they're, like, who knows what they are? They just have been treated as gods, and maybe they even get their power from the people's belief in them. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I I think it's really interesting. And I do think, <clears throat> I wouldn't necessarily, like, put money on the table saying that, like, all the gods are going to get wiped out. But I do think the world could still exist without them. You know, you, you were mentioning, like, paladins and clerics and stuff. And obviously there would be something mechanically or otherwise that would kind of need to be addressed but like i think you could do it you know and maybe maybe there's new gods maybe there's new ways that these things are addressed if that happened i don't know yeah no i mean i don't disagree that they couldn't work for me it's my only exposure to deity has been a deity tier Mm -hmm. in some way so to remove that permanently feels un D D to me. I don't know. It feels so strange. So, but, but, you know, if they're doing some kind of systems change or, you know, in some way, I mean, it, it, it could be, it could be done for sure. But Yeah. And, 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 and it could just be like a, like a semantics thing where like maybe these, right. what we're referring to as gods in this instance are wiped away but then maybe yeah. that ushers in a new understanding of like the true gods that have been obscured the whole time or, you know, yeah, or brand new God, yeah. like maybe new people ascend. And I mean, there's, I guess, infinite something, ways you could something from beyond the stars. Yeah. I mean, plus we, not to dive into that again, but we, there's that whole conversation from calamity that we had about like what the heck Xerxes was. I mean, he was the godless paladin, but there was like some force or something that was like heavily yeah. implied and referenced there at the end. Uh, and the Luxon, like what, what are these things? Cause the Luxon is seemingly, if what we know about it is true, higher than the gods. Cause it was there first. And then the gods came to the planet, like because of it essentially in a way. Um, so yeah, I don't, there's lots of like very big questions surrounding all of this. And, uh, I mean, I don't know if we'll get, I doubt we get all the answers, but maybe we'll get some. Yeah. Um, I was going to ask you something, but I just lost my train of thought on it. Um, dang it. Uh, maybe it'll come back to me before I was just thinking about calamity, but maybe it'll come back to me before we move away or finish the, our discussion. Um, um, okay. While you're thinking uh, a little bit, another note on the matron really quick is, yeah, I am interested if has he found out her name in the last however many years. Oh. That yeah. reminds me, actually. When yeah. Travis says there's power in a name, we've heard that before. Yeah. Um, what was he referencing? Well, he said a name is earned, which is the name yes. of, of one of Campaign 1 episodes and also the name of one of Vox Machina episodes. A name is okay. earned is the like trial they had to do against the Sphinx. Um, mm. In the campaign, it, that whole... Like, you know, with Scanlan playing the song, ultimately... In the campaign, that was all different. They had to do like a completely different trial, and the result of which was learning the Sphinx's name. And so yeah. the oh, the episode yeah. was called "A Name Is Earned." Man, you're so good at Critical Role lore. <laughs> <laughs> Too soon. Womp womp. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, and plus, we, 
I mean, we didn't overtly reference it, but I'll just say it now. Uh, the whole tree of names, which is centrally connected to everything that's going on here. Um, it would make sense that Luden has probably learned about that. And maybe that's, you know, another one of the reasons, maybe that's why he said there's power in a name. Um, and <clears throat> slight spoilers um, for anyone that didn't watch EXU Kaimul. I still like need to finish it, but I do know one big thing from that is um, Mori. There's like too many characters named Morgan, but the, the guest character Morgan, not yeah. Nana Mori, not, yeah. you know, uh, one thing she did in like one of her roles was uh, she, she found a bust, like a statue that was of the matron of Ravens seemingly that had a name on it. And when like you looked at it, your eyes went blurry and like you couldn't look at it and she destroyed it. And so like, that was like her, like her quest. I don't know. Like it's, it's been so mm. long. I don't really remember the exact how things worked, but like, I don't know if she's like a, a cha not a champion in the same way, uh, Vaxeldon was, but like if she's related to the Raven Queen at all, and that was like, like she was hearing like this incessant like cawing of a raven until she destroyed it. Like she was, in a way, sent there to destroy this thing, um, which wow. is just interesting that 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 some evidence of that still existed in modern times because Exu took place like only a couple. Of, I don't even or not even a couple of years ago, recently in the timeline, mm. um, and you know so. If Ludinus has been looking for this for hundreds of years, did did he find that or find some other thing that mm. told him the name? Um, yeah. But yeah, I don't know. Uh, not, uh, we already talked about it, so I don't want to retread the ground, but just very curious to know the relationship between him mm. and, and her. I do think that there's more to it than just pure admiration for the mortal that usurped a god. Now, whether that means he knew her personally or... You know what? I don't know, but I think there's something there. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Anything else to discuss? <clears throat> uh, no, I, I don't think so. Um, yeah, I. Uh, I'm I'm hoping they. Don't get TPK'd by this weird creature and that they figure out what this. This this puzzle is in this room, because mm -hmm. I want to I want the more juicy lore drops, which I'm hoping are behind it. Oh, yeah. All right. Well, you guys let us know what you thought about this episode and your best guesses for this whole lewdness matron stuff, as well as any other theories that you have about the show. Um, we'd love to know about it. Just put it in the comments down below. So, uh, and then also we're going to have a video. We will get, we are going to do the Dimension 20 series. So, um, um, expect that at some point too. Yeah. So, all right. All right. Uh, thumbnail yeah uh, i don't i don't know which beast of burden should we do yeah <laughs> are we just like being creepy or are we being scared either or <laughs> um i don't know i'll be scared i think i'd like to be scared okay oh, sort oh. Of hiding like you know yeah get off the road <laughs> get off the road <laughs> so. okay so should we both be scared sure Okay. Okay. <laughs> Nailed it again. Nailed it. <laughs> Alrighty, y'all. Well, uh yeah, we already we already signed out, I guess, so <laughs> that's all we got for tonight. Bye. See ya. <laughs>